that sighing, uh, can't we all identify with that passage? The day when sighing will come to an end and sorrow. This week has felt for me like a time of conflicting feelings and emotions, and as we look out in our world, we see so many terrible things, even very close to home, things that make us weep and feel sad. At the same time, all this warm weather, it makes me feel happy, and I feel so conflicted. I don't know if anyone of you is feeling like that. Uh, longing for the, the day when, will all the sad things come untrue? Will winter finally end? Will spring finally come? Um, it will. <laughs> and uh, today's passage has everything to do with that. We'll be in Acts 3, if you want to join me there. Acts 3, it's a good time to turn there in your Bible. Um, my name's Thomas, by the way. I'm one of your pastors here. My joy to open the Bible with you today. Uh, you know, I remember not too long ago, um, well, actually it feels, now that I reflect on it, it's quite a long time ago when my wife and I were dating, we were in college, and I remember um, there was a restaurant we wanted to go, to go to, and I wanted to take her out, show her a good time, and, and have fun. And I was a little nervous about it. I, it was a nice place, and I didn't think I'd be able to get in. Um, I did not have the, you know, I was a young guy. And I, Anyway, but I told my friend, you know, he, he had had some kind of connection with this place. I didn't really know. Um, but he said, hey, it'll be fine. You just go and tell him my name. Just say my name, and, and you'll get in. And I was like, I don't think this is real. I, he was kind of a jokester. I thought maybe he was kind of going to give me a hard time and send me with my girlfriend, make me look bad. But I, I, we got up to the door, and I kinda, I'm sure they thought, come on. Um, but I remember saying, you know, well, and I felt so silly. But I remember saying, I know John. <laughs> and they said, John and they said, John who? And I told him the name. And, he's, and they said, oh, why didn't you say so? Come on in, come on in. We got a table for you. And then we passed the whole line. And I remember at that moment, you know, so many of you, I'm sure, have had experiences like that where you really learn in your lived experience the power of a name. Um, probably some of you would say, well, I don't know if I would be in the job I'm in right now. Or I don't know, I don't know if I would, you know, there are parties that I don't know if I would have gotten to if I didn't know so-and-so's name. Or, or for, in so many ways, you've learned power of, of a name. Even today we think, you know, there's certain names, if you mention them, uh, bring about incredibly powerful memories, incredibly powerful access and, and uh, images, even if we're not part of the situations those people's names are connected to. Not because of the name itself, the consonants and the sound, no, but because of the who and the what that's attached to it. Acts 3 is all about the power of Jesus' name the power of Jesus' name. That's what we're going to see. That's what I want to show you here. It's an incredible story. And, well, let me read it for you. There's Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. Read it with me here. Well, actually, I'm just going to read it, but listen as I read it. Follow along is what I mean. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one that sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
What I want all of us to learn today from this passage is that we can trust the power of Jesus' name. Trust the power of Jesus' name. This healing here in the early part of of this great story of the book of Acts, this early church story, shows us, first, that Jesus' name is powerful. Second, that the gospel is true. And finally, it's going to show us how to come to Jesus. How do we actually do that? Uh, But first, let's pray. Let's ask God to teach us this from his word. Lord, your word is perfect. It revives our weary souls. Your word is sure. It makes us wise in this world. Your word is right. Your word can rejoice our sad hearts. Your commandments are pure. They give light to our eyes. Knowing you, enjoying you, obeying you is the most profitable thing we can do today. Help us wholeheartedly to listen and to obey all that you say and teach us. Make your word work powerfully among us, we pray, for the glory of King Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, the first thing that this healing teaches us in this great story in the book of Acts is that Jesus' name is powerful. Jesus' name is powerful. Last week, we, we left sort of the, the young, sort of infant church, uh, newborn church in this place of seemingly kind of idyllic community. God had sent his spirit on this community of believers, and the quality of their community was just radiant. They, people were sacrificing and giving up for one another, many things, devoting themselves with one another to fellowship and to learning Christ together, and this all seemed to proceed from God's love that had been poured out on them miraculously. And then we know at the end, just, just like we noted last week, if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 43 with me, just above our passage, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so Acts 3 comes on the scene as one of those many wonders and signs. Uh, it's interesting that uh, it says many wonders and signs were being done, and yet we only have one that's recorded for us. This is just one of uh, seemingly many, a multitude of signs that were being done uh, during that time when they were in Jerusalem. There's lots of other stories, but they're in other places. So this is, this is sort of unique for us. Why this one? Why did Luke, as he was putting together the, the, the story of the church, the story of the spread of the gospel throughout the, the, the world, why did he choose this one as sort of paradigmatic, as, as exemplifying for us what it looked like for the apostles to, to do this? I think there are quite a few reasons, but the main one seems to be that this, this healing puts on just sort of raw display the power of Jesus' name, the power of Jesus' name. It was an, a tremendous illustration of that power. You look at the passage itself, and it's clear. The heart of the interaction is, is the, the dialogue between Peter, especially Peter, but apparently Peter and John, and this man. Peter directed his gaze. He asked to receive alms. Alms were, uh, you know, one thing we have to clear up right away is, I'm sure when you read this or when you hear it, your first sort of lived experience is you're walking, and there's some, you know, someone who you think they're maybe a homeless person or something, they're asking you for money. That was, this is not really the context that we should probably be thinking of. This was something that was sort of expected, that there would, when there were people who were suffering from things like this, that it was, it was expected from the community to support people like this. And so what they were doing was, you know, what this man was doing was not really all that abnormal. Um, it was expected that the, the nation would support him um, since he couldn't work to, to, to make his own money. So we have to sort of put that away for a second. Um, but what's clear is you have this moment. Peter and John, to direct their gaze at him. There's lots of talk about looking at, look at me. He looks at them. And, um, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up 
and walk. If we were to sneak ahead a little bit in the story and go down to verse 16, what happens is, much like the story of Pentecost in Acts 2, something miraculous happens, and then Peter stands up and explains to everyone what just happened. The same thing happens in Acts 3. Something amazing happens, this man is healed, and then he, goes on, he stands up and everyone's like, what just happened? And Peter says, I'll tell you. And so he does. And in verse 16, when Peter's doing that, he says this, his name, by faith in his name, he's talking about Jesus, it, it's his name, that's the emphasis. By faith in his name has made this man strong whom we see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It's very clear. This isn't complicated to see. Uh, it's the name of Jesus that has healed this man. Now, what do we mean by that? What do we, a name? What's in a name? Uh, that's Shakespeare. What's, what's in this? What's, what's going on here? Was this kind of a magic spell? Uh, to, you know, just say Jesus' name? Boom, and power is just kind of will radiate out from you. No, it doesn't seem. In the Bible, your name is expressing a very specific concept about who you are. Um, think about the third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name. Thank you. All right, I love it. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, remember Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your Name. All right. Think of the Great Commission. Jesus commands his disciples to go out and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Interesting. Just one name for all three. We won't talk about that now, but just a fact to plant away. By invoking the name of Jesus, Peter was calling upon the very will, the very power and mercy of God. Your name is the deepest part of you, and, and that's so much more true even of, of when we talk about God in the Old Testament in, in the New what happened here was that Peter invoked the very will of Jesus himself. We, it's not clear, and we can talk more about this later, but not clear exactly how this worked, but what's clear is that it's through the power that is in the name of Jesus that this man is healed. There was no deliberation. There was no time of convalescence. There was no, uh, you know, go to this facility and, you know, do these... No, it wasn't. It was instant and total wellness. That's why if you look back at verse 16, it says, it's through Jesus that has given... Uh, the faith that is in Jesus that has given this man perfect health. Um, the word that is used there is immediately. It means just all of the sudden. No delay, no lag time, nothing. Perfect wellness. The name of Jesus, we should learn, has power. Now we could stop there. We could stop there and, and clearly that's, there's plenty for us to think about and meditate on and apply that to our own lives. Um, there's more to it than that and that's sort of the second point I'll get to. But I want to take a moment. Now, some of you are here you're incredibly well-educated. I know, as I look out, I know some of you are in the medical profession. You're nurses and doctors and, and physical therapists and, and things like that. And when you heard me read this passage, you thought, come on. Come on, pastor. Okay, this is, I know what this is, you know. It's sort of a wonderful ancient representation of the core truths that God can heal us spiritually. But come on. He, he just stood up. Come on. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I know if I were to read this passage with my, my coworker, with my neighbor, maybe with a family member, that's exactly what they would be thinking. Come on, this didn't really happen, right? Well, we actually, we totally trust the Bible. Uh, we, we think this did happen. It tells us the truth about history and about truth in general and about the world. But I can understand why you would come to some of those conclusions. Well, if that's you, I want to invite you. Uh, on the 20th of March and on the 27th, we've, we've been having these training hour things going on, this sort of adult learning time in the atrium at the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, on the 20th, one of our wonderful elders, Jamie Schrader, is going to teach us why can we trust this story. 
the book of Acts in particular. Um, if you're curious about that and you want to hear why there are really good reasons that we can actually trust this, this telling of a story, um, go there. Jamie Schrader is going to talk about that. On the 27th, Dave Blanks, who's a philosophy professor here at the university, is, is going to talk about miracles in general. Um, he's philosophy brain, okay, he's a really smart guy, um, and he's going to talk about those things from sort of more of a philosophical angle. So if you have big questions about this, or you have friends who do, you know, at Parkview we're all about being whole disciples who f- make whole disciples, and if in either category, if it's a question for you or for someone that you love and want to share about Christ with, come to one of those. We want to give you every resource uh, to be built up and, and help others. It's so wonderful, uh, you know, to have people like, like, like them uh, who love Christ, love the Bible, are really well-trained and, and, and want to help us understand these things. So, 27th, 20th, 9 a.m., and atrium. But, like I said, the point is, the healing, this healing shows that Jesus' name is powerful. His name is powerful. So we can trust the power of Jesus' name. But in the end, this is not just a story about one man with a disability being healed. Uh, it's much more than that. This healing also shows us that the gospel is true. This healing shows us that the gospel is true. To see that, we can look at the, the passage that Leanne read for us, read for us so well, Isaiah 35. Uh, if you want to turn there, it would be great. Um, but I'll also read it for you. Um, and I think you'll see almost immediately what, what there is to see there. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 4 say this. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The verse that sticks out for us, of course, is verse 6. The lame man shall leap like a deer. Sound familiar? That's, that's the story that we're reading about in Acts 3. Um, this is a prophecy but from the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Christ was even born, and he's predicting a coming time. If you look at Isaiah 35 as a whole, uh, you see words like shall and will and then and then and then and then. It's talking about a future age where this shadowy figure, he will come. Who is it? He will bring salvation that will include certain phenomena. There will be certain things that you see when this, when this figure shows up on the scene uh, that will tell you this, this new era has come. The thens are no longer thens, they're nows. And one of those things he specifically points out is that the lame man will leap like a deer. It sounds familiar. Because 700 years later, just out, outside the temple in Jerusalem, this middle-aged man who had been disabled from birth looked up at two fishermen who happened to be walking by and, and they claimed the name and the power of Jesus Christ and in his name, this man was healed. And he stood and what, what did he do? Leaping up, he stood, began to walk, he entered. He was walking and leaping, repeating that word as if to say, are you getting it? Okay, remember Isaiah 35, the leaping? He's doing the leaping, just like God said, just like God said. And it's the same Greek word that was used in the translation of the Old Testament. Luke, who wrote this, Acts 3, is going out of his way to show us everything that has been promised in Isaiah 35 is coming to pass. This new age where God would begin to do a new thing in his world to make all the sad things come untrue is here. 
The promised age is upon us. All the thens are becoming nows. He will one day bring this to completion in the new heavens and new earth, but even now, beams of light are seeming to break through the darkness, telling us that by the power of God's spirit in his people and through them, God is beginning to turn back the clock on everything that has gone wrong in our universe. God is keeping all of our promises. That is, the gospel is true. I remember as a kid, uh, there was a little part of our garden out in front of my, my mom's house, and I would often wait there as I was waiting for the bus uh, to come pick me up and take me off to school. And I remember uh, it was always one of my favorite times of year when I would start to see the little green nubs start to appear out of the ground. Um, even sometimes it would, there would be snow that they were sort of breaking through, but it was the daffodils. I didn't know what they were called then. I knew, I, they were nice yellow flowers. They came back every year. They were great. Um, but they meant so much more to me than just, you know, some yellow flowers coming up. What, they meant more than just, there's, okay, great, it's, uh, you know, flowers. Uh, what they meant was, life is coming back. <laughs> Winter is ending. Um, I'm going to get to play outside again. Um, all of the coldness is going to go away, and uh, I would get to, you know, for me, it meant I, it's track season, I get to go do sports again outside. Um, this man's healing in Acts 3 was the first daffodil, so to speak, of, be- of a new beauty, a new season of beauty that was coming into the world. People saw it and wondered. That's what this passage says. Could this be? Could it really be? Is winter ending? Will all the sad things really come untrue? And they looked at him, and the answer they had to say was, I think so, I think so. God is keeping his promises. He would cast out darkness bit by bit. He would forgive sins. But how, how, how were people supposed to know that this great turning of the ages had happened? There was no worldwide PA announcement. There was no, the moon didn't change colors. There was not an airplane flying through the sky saying, guess what, good news, the, all the things that the Bible promised are coming true. Take a look at Jesus. No. One day, the sun came up in Jerusalem and Jesus wasn't dead anymore. In a few weeks, we get to celebrate that together. And then the revolution began. And little, little sparks of joy, little evidences of God's power started to pop up all over the place. And they're doing so today too. Now, the power that we see at work in the apostles through this, you know, is the same power that is at work in us today. Now, uh, I don't think God calls us to sort of invoke the power of the Spirit in the way that we see the apostles doing here. Um, you, know, you notice that they're not praying that the man will be healed, which is something that the Bible does tell us that's, that's right, we should do that. Um, they just say it. Be raised, be healed. Um, and so there's something a little bit different, but at the same time, um, God is still doing amazing things through the power of his Spirit in us. Um, in fact, in God's economy, the greatest miracle of all is not healing. Keep in mind, you know, this man didn't go on to live forever. Um, but the greatest miracle in God's economy is actually when people turn back to God. This healing, however, authenticated, it illustrated the internal changes that, while often less flashy, are the true sort of sparks of light that are beginning to pop through in our dark universe that show us, that declare to us, that illustrate to us that the gospel is verified and validated and true. There are unexplainable things happening all around us, especially in this room. I see them all the time, where I see people making decisions that make no sense in a good way. See people pouring out their lives in ways that are costly for them, taking risks that don't necessarily make sense according to the way the world thinks about things. 
it's very risky to love people in the way of Jesus. It requires resources that are sort of unexplainable. That's just one example of, what, of, of some of the things that we see in our world today. Are we, this is the question that we need to ask ourselves in response to the power that we see here. Are we living lives that, that demonstrate the, the thermonuclear power source that is inside of us, that is the Holy Spirit? Are we living lives, if, all, if the only evidence we had to go on was sort of a reel that showed our life from this past week, both inside our minds and in the actions that we took, would the world see a person who is absolutely convinced that the power of God is at work inside of us? That's a convicting thought for me. <laughs> and I'm sure it is for some of you too. If, you, if you're like me, you realize so often we deny the power of, by living lives of safety and comfort, never putting ourselves too far out there and, and therefore expecting God to show up in power. Take a risk. Let's do it. Let's be bold. Expect the power of Jesus' name to actually show up in your lives. Say the thing that you know you should say, or don't say the thing you would like to say, uh, but probably shouldn't. Give and serve in a way that will require something of you, that will cost you. The Lord will never leave you empty. No. This should also teach us that there are no small people. There's no small people in, in God's economy. This man mattered to God. You, you can imagine, if, if, if you're sort of of a different mind, you'd say, Peter and John, spend your time on some different people. That is not how God sees the world. This man mattered to God. Um, and, and you see that. Look at what happened. Imagine if they had passed him by and said, aren't there you know, more public opportunities for us to sort of display God's power? Or isn't there something else we could be doing? Better, better use of our time? Absolutely not. God cares about him. Um, God, and God cares about the little things in your life, too. There are no little people. Maybe you feel like a little person. There are no little people, and there are li no little moments. God's power can be manifest in the tiniest moments that end up rocking the world. There's so many examples of that in history and through the people that you'd least like, be least likely to expect. So don't pass people by. So this healing shows us that Jesus' name is powerful. It, it shows us that the gospel is true. It verifies it. It validates it. And so you can trust in the power of Jesus' name. Now, Finally, this, this healing teaches us how to come to Jesus. And, and I want to sit, just sit in this for a minute. You know, there's one character in this, who's experienced in this story we haven't really explored yet. And that's this man himself. Um, consider his life. You know, things are not easy today for people who have disabilities, um, but it was immeasurably harder for them in the first century. There's no ADA compliance. No one had to help someone with a disability. Um, there was no assistance from the government or anyone to sort of make their life easier. It was hard. Um, and if you add all this to uh, the fact that in the ancient world, often disabilities like this came with sort of a, a moral, spiritual stigma attached to them. Uh, think of Jesus with his disciples, and they see a man who was born blind. And you remember the question they ask him? They say, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was born blind? him or his parents. When people walked by this man every day, that's the kind of questions they were thinking about him, and that was his experience of life. People walking by him thinking, what went wrong here? What did he do? It was a sign, apparently, that so people thought, of God's curse on, the, on an individual. And so no one really wanted to help you. <laughs> and so in all the, add all this together. In the first century, 
Um, to be, and, and this is what I think Luke saw as he wrote this and sort of gave this to us as a paradigmatic event of what it looked like for the power of Jesus' name to come into someone's life, was that this was a person who, at least as people saw him, was really stripped of self-sufficiency. Really stripped of self-sufficiency. I mean, you can imagine the lived experience of this man. I mean, and Luke goes out of his way to point this out. A man lame from birth. He goes out of his way from birth. Uh, was being carried Okay, we could have put that together on our own as readers, right? How else would he have gotten there? Um, he's being carried. They laid him daily. At, I, I mean, he's, he's almost treated as like a passive object. It's almost sort of insulting the way that he's described. And you can imagine the experience of that. He's carried, he's physically carried, he's, and, and literally and metaphorically he's being carried. That's, the, I think, the point Luke wants us to see. He's being carried there. But one day... He was carried again, and he saw two men walking by. And unlike the others, they didn't avert their gaze from him. They didn't look away, ashamed of what they saw. They didn't look away, please don't ask me. They looked at him. They looked at him, and they said to him, look at us. We want to look at you. And they said, look at us. And, and surely he thought, I'm going to receive the thing I most need. Silver, gold, the things that will sort of give me a little bit of freedom and a little bit of a break from this experience of, of a lack of self-sufficiency. But instead, Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles are made well. Remember we saw in verse 16, this wasn't sort of a, a mysterious magical power, but we see in verse 16 that he somehow had faith in the name of Jesus, um, that he would give him what he needed in that moment. And God offers this example, I think, so that we can see what it means for us to come to Jesus. And I want to give you three things that it means. First, we must come empty. We must come empty. Come to him empty. Um, this man's lived experience, I, I, you know, again, there's, there's enough stigma still today attached with disability, so that's, that's not what we're talking about. But I think Luke presents this to us as someone who the average reader would say, here's a person who's not sufficient in themselves. But this man spent his whole life with his circumstances telling him that he was weak. With his circumstances, with the people around him, didn't, not even having to say it, but just by the way they didn't want to look at him and didn't want to participate with him, didn't want to engage with him. With all of his circumstances, his peers, his possessions, he's literally carried places. All of his life experiences were telling him, you don't have much to offer. But Jesus wants him. And every single one of us in this room, to, to some degree or another, uh, unlike this man, I think, or at least the way Luke's portraying him, we have a lived sense of self-sufficiency. We probably find it in some ways hard to identify with this man. Many of us do. Um, we live in a time when there's never really been a greater concentration of wealth for more people than we have today. I know each of us can say, what about Bill on the corner? I know we can all, but look, you know, I look out here and I know some of you, you're well-educated, uh, you have money, you know? I know many of you, you go to work and it's your job to tell people what to do. You have power, you have a sense of importance because you're important, you know, it's, it's true. Um, you're people with good reputations, well-earned good reputations. That is to say, for most of us, we spend our days being told by our circumstances and by our peers and by our possessions and if we're honest by ourselves, that we are self-sufficient. We have what it takes. We have something to offer. 
you're anything like me, to some degree or another, your sense of self is based on those things rather than on what Jesus says about you. Every once in a while, if God is merciful to us, the foundations of our life are laid bare. And we see how little those things can actually sustain us. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me. (laughs) It's happened lately. It's painful. But it's God's mercy. The beggar in Acts 3 is the image of a man whose circumstances tell him that he's empty. And Jesus comes to him as one who can come and fill him. Because he is empty. Because he knows that. Jesus is not interested in taking our lives from good to amazing. (laughs) Jesus is very interested in those who crawl to him with empty and open hands, knowing that he is our only hope. Knowing that all of those things that make us feel self-sufficient in the end will evaporate. Live long enough and you'll learn this. They will evaporate, they will disappoint you, have you ever sat in a meeting and a choice word from a coworker seems to just take the floor out from underneath you? Or something your spouse says to you? That's the foundations of your life being laid bare. It's God's mercy in the end. So that we can find that if we come to Jesus, he will be everything that we need. If you come to Jesus hoping to be recognized for your moral accomplishments, to be seen as an upstanding citizen whom God should be happy to have in his kingdom, you have missed the point. You haven't really come to him yet. And I'm not talking about the first time or the 500th time. I'm talking about any time that we come to Jesus. Whether you're here and I've, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know I can, I can read my Bible faithfully for a week and never really come to him. Not really. I can come to him for knowledge and I can learn some facts, but I haven't really come to him until I come to him like this. Did you know Jesus is attracted to your problems? Jesus finds your insufficiency irresistible. Absolutely irresistible. It's the whole point. So come to him empty. Second, we have to come to him open. Open. Um, It seems this man, you know, it it tells us in the text, he thought he would receive something, and he was right, um, but it seems surely he thought he would be receiving something that they didn't end up giving him. And you see that in the way the the apostles actually respond and say, we don't have silver or gold, as if to say, let's get that out of the way. Sorry, no silver or gold, but what we do have is something better. Um, It seems that this, this man was forced to let Jesus set the agenda for his life. Uh, the text doesn't care to tell us you know, exactly how this happened, exactly the mechanics of everything, what was the man thinking, what, but he clearly didn't get exactly what he was expecting. Now, in his case, he got something much better than he was expecting. Um, but he was willing to let Jesus define the terms for him. He was willing to let Jesus define the terms of his salvation. He was willing to let Jesus tell him what being healed and rescued would look like. In his case, it looked like being physically restored, and and clearly his response is one of joy. We'll get to that in a moment. But he was willing to let Jesus tell him what to do. He was willing to come to Jesus as a king. He was willing to come to Jesus, not so many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we spend most of our lives bringing parts of ourselves to Jesus, hoping that he'll heal part of ourselves. 
We bring part of our sadness to him, thinking that he could heal a little bit of us. What Jesus wants is for us to bring our entire lives before him, and his promise is that he will meet us with his entire self. Often we, we come to Jesus hoping that he will meet us with his mercy only, not the commanding part. Uh, we, this man doesn't either. Will you let Jesus set the agenda for your life? Will you let him be a king, not a coach, not an advisor, not a guru, but a king? Most of us live most of our lives to some degree asking Jesus to, to help us reach the goals that we will define ourselves. Jesus must set the agenda. When is the last time, I know for many of us, we're driven people and we have a five-year plan. When is the last time you ask Jesus what his five-year plan for your life is? What do, you th- what do you think the things that he is putting his finger on in your life that he would like to see changed? You know, he promises to be with you through them. So we must come empty, we must come open to whatever he has for us. And finally, we see, we see that he will leave joyfully leave joyfully. Look at the result. He knows what has happened. He knows, he has had faith in this man Jesus whom it seems clear he's, he's never met. And, and his agenda that he thought he had, this is what I need, this is why I sit here, this is why I'm carried here, had been blown out of the water. And what was his response? Of course, he was filled with joy. He's absolutely filled with joy. Uh, and, and his impulse was to go to God in worship to go to God with praise and singing and honor, and you see the people's response. This was something that they never expected. This was not the man that they had ever seen before. His life was transformed in a moment. And so I think the, the question we need to ask ourselves too is, will we let Jesus fill us with joy? Now, we're in an age of sadness, I know. But will we embrace the enduring joy that can somehow unsettle some of the sadness that we are in right now and let God be our ultimate treasure, the thing that can never be taken away from us. The enduring age of joy is upon us, and the point is to go back to him again. None of us, by the way, as I walk you through this, as I walk you through thinking through this, none of us are going to be able to make ourselves feel empty. There's a little spiritual mechanism within all of us that sort of prevents that, but the spirit is also in us, and he can help us. So we must come to him. If we're not feeling what we know we ought to be feeling, if we're not feeling the emptiness that we know we ought to feel, if we're not feeling the openness that we know we ought to feel, the solution is to ask God to come by his spirit and give us what only he can give. And his promise is is that he will fill us with joy. He will fill us with joy. The real kind, not the fleeting cotton candy, not the, it's nice, it's spring, I feel happy today, but the enduring joy that can somehow buoy us through the darkness of this present age into what Jesus has next for us. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has inaugurated this age of indestructible joy. We will at times feel just harassed by this world. We will at times just feel down. But in Jesus, we can have joy that can't be destroyed. So let's trust in the power of Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Father, what we need most, all of us needs most, is you. Lord, as we we read this story, um, and especially as we sort of zoom in on this man and what it was like for him to meet Jesus and to really come to Jesus, 
not with an agenda, not with an idea, not with a self-help plan that we wish he would bless, but truly bearing his soul before him. I don't know where each one of us is at today. Maybe today there are some of us here, I'm sure of it, that feel like the sky is falling or that feel like the, the floor has sort of gone out from your life and you are feeling in free fall. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a special way to each of us, that you convince our hearts that if we come to you, we will not receive <laughs> what we think we would get. Frustration, anger, we will receive the warmth of your embrace if we really come to you. Convince our hearts of that, Lord, whether it's for the first time or for the 500th time or for the millionth time that we have, again, come back to you for fresh forgiveness, for fresh hope, for newness of life, for your Holy Spirit. Fill us again. Help us to come like this man and change us, Lord. Convince us that your power is at work in us and that you will be with us to comfort us and to fill us with joy with whatever you call us to this week. Lord, make us those kinds of people. Make us people of boldness and faith. Give us faith, Lord. And do all this, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, for his glory, we pray. Amen.